Please remain standing as you're able, and would you follow after me as we recite what Jesus called the great commandment. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Had. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Our scripture this morning is in the very first chapter of Genesis, beginning in verse 26. The Lord God said, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness, and let them have uh, dominion over the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and the wild animals and livestock and every creature that crawls upon the ground. And so the Lord God created humankind in God's own image. In his image, God created them male and female. And God commanded them and blessed them and said, uh, be fruitful and multiply, fill all the earth and subdue it. And rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls upon the ground. And I will give to you every uh, seed-bearing plant and every fruit-bearing tree that has seed in it for food. And I will give to the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls upon the ground everything with breath in it, every green plant for food. And it was so. And God uh, saw what he had done, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. On vacation last week, we went to an observatory in Estes Park. And when we went there, I learned some things I had not learned before. The guy that was uh, leading us showed us the Milky Way galaxy, and he said that there are anywhere from 100 to 400 billion stars in the Milky Way. And then he showed us a chart, and the chart had different sizes of uh, stars, and we found that actually our sun, which has burned for, what, 5 billion years and may burn another 5 billion, was actually one of the smaller stars uh, that was out there. I was sharing this with uh, the group that uh, looks at the uh, sermon text On Tuesday, and Daryl talked about his summer vacation, Daryl said, this summer we went to the Grand Canyon, and we were told that the Grand Canyon is 70 million years old. And then we went to Cascade Caverns, and we were told that Cascade Caverns are 20 million years old. And then we went to the McDonald Observatory, and they showed us a light from a star that was 100 million light years away. And he stopped and he said, that means that light from that star was headed our way before even the Grand Canyon was formed. I thought about that, and and really I didn't have much response, except what the psalmist says in Psalm 8, Lord, who are we as human beings that you would care for us? I mean, a God of what kind of size creates a universe like that? My other thought, though, was to think about those old westerns, you know, where the antagonists will square off, and they'll say something to the effect of, This town ain't big enough for both of us. And I thought, this universe ain't big enough for both of us because God fills and and overfills the universe that God has created. And yet, and yet, we find ourselves with a place. 
It seems that God is always choosing not to overwhelm us, but rather to give us a place instead. In Exodus, uh, Moses asked to see God's face. And God basically says to Moses, you can't see my face. No one can look on my face and live. But yet God says this. God says, I'll tell you what, Moses, go hide in that rock and I will pass by and you can see my backside. Uh, To which my Old Testament professor said 30 years ago, that was the first case of mooning in the Bible. Maybe. But you can see what it is a case of is God sort of holding back, not overwhelming. And then the people in Exodus ask God to go with them, even after they've committed this great sin with the golden calf. And what God does is, my full presence won't go with you, but you're going to build this tent. It's called a tabernacle, and they get detailed instructions. And then God will limit God's self in such a way that God can dwell in the tent with them. Now, 600 years ago, there was a Jew who looked at uh, the stories in Exodus and other things in the Bible, and he, he coined an interesting phrase in Hebrew. It's called zimzum. And zimzum simply means that God leaves space in which we can exist. That God could shine so brightly that we couldn't see anything. God could overwhelm us. God could fill up every space where there would be no place for us. But God has chosen to pull back and to limit God's self so that we might have space in which to live. This morning, I want to talk about hospitality. And I think what God has done in creation is a beautiful picture of hospitality. It's pulling back in some ways so that we can allow another space in which to live and which to grow. And so when I look at what God does in creation, I find three pretty interesting things about creation uh, and about God's hospitality. But here's what you need to learn, or here at least. And that is that I don't believe the creation story in Genesis is meant to tell you how long ago the earth was created. And I don't think it was meant to tell you how long it took to create the earth. It isn't, those are the wrong questions. And if you ask the Bible the wrong questions, you will not get the right answer. It is meant to say, what is God's intent in creation and what is God's purpose for us? And so you see that God does some amazing things in creation and they become more amazing when you compare the creation story in the Bible with creation stories that are out there at the same time, which are not meant to be science. They are meant to talk about who God is and what God is doing. And so the first thing you see from God is this amazing uh, willingness to pull back to efface God's own self, to to limit God's own self, to give us space in which to exist in this universe. And what you need to know is the Mesopotamian gods, the gods of the the Babylonians who give us all the ziggurats, uh, they didn't see it like that. In fact, when you read their stories, the Babylonian gods are very concerned about overpopulation. And in fact, they want humankind limited. And I love this because they feared there would be a noise problem. They didn't want all the racket from all of us. And so they work for ways to limit the number of human beings. And yet our God says, I'll pull back, you multiply. It's an amazing act of limiting God's self in a very gracious way. So that's the first thing I see is God's sort of self-limitation in creation. Another thing is that God creates by permission. God says, let there be. And so there is. And so God basically gives a freedom There's a graciousness about God's creation. There's a generosity that says, here, there's a place for you. Grow, exist, live. 
do the things that will make life come alive for you. And God gives us that opportunity. And so creation is out of permission. Uh, Not so with the Babylonian um, creation myth. It goes something like this. There was a goddess. Her name was Tiamat. And she had a son. His name was Marduk. And Marduk basically looks at Tiamat and says, this universe ain't big enough for both of us. And they engage in battle. And Marduk wins the battle, slices his mother in half. Part of her becomes the stars, or the heavens, and part of her becomes the earth. And she... And the earth is created, therefore, with an act of violence and power and aggression. Earth is created at the expense of somebody, whereas God creates earth out of sheer generosity. Any of you old enough to remember J.R. Ewing? Remember those words he gave to Bobby who just didn't know how things worked? He said, real power is something you grab. That's a Babylonian concept. For the Bible, real power is something that you share and you give away. And so in creation, God gives us a place and gives us permission. Final thing I see God doing in this very hospitable act of creation is God also gives us some boundaries, some guidelines. God knows that our life will thrive best if we stay within the lines, if we stay within the boundary like a river within It's banks. And so when they're created, they're created with what the Jews say is the very first commandment, which is go forth and multiply. Then they're created. And then in chapter two in the garden, they're said here, stay here, Adam and Eve, work this, take care of this land. And you need all this, but you can't eat that. And there's some boundaries. And it just seems to me that as humankind goes along, we try to push all the boundaries. Like a very, very, very grown-up and very strong two-year-old, we say to God's boundaries, no, we're not going to do it like that. We've got the power. We've got the wherewithal. We're going to do it our way. And it seems to me a lot of the difficulties in our world come when we take the permission God gives us and we use the permission to tell God, thanks for the freedom. We're going to do it our way now. There was a, uh, an epic moment, I thought, on PBS years and years ago. Bill Moyers had a series and gathered these English professors and, and historians and, and uh, scientists and, and one theologian, which was probably about the right balance. And they're pontificating on Genesis. And finally, the theo- theologian, very crusty guy, his name is Walter Brueggemann, has had enough. And he looks at the camera and looks at everybody else in the room. He said, do you know what your problem is? He said, your problem is this. You want the God you want and not the God you have. And in creation, it is the God we have trying to give us the life that is best for us with permission, but with those boundaries. And as I thought about God creating in this hospitable way, I'm like, what does this remind me of? Oh, I get it. God is parenting like any great parent God desires for God's creation, for the height of creation, human beings, to grow up and be responsible and be mature. And to do it, you know that parents have to do these three things and do them well. Parents, in order for there to be life, have to uh, somewhat limit themselves. They have to be self-effacing. They've got to give way. They give up a lot of things to have a child, like um, sleep. Um, I was in line behind a woman who was very pregnant. And she was in line behind another guy, and because I'm the introvert, they talked, I overheard. But as they were um, talking, she told the uh, man in front of me that she was due in 11 days. And that her first two children were boys, born by cesarean section. 
And she was about to have, in 11 days, a third boy by cesarean section. Either one of those things on their own, three boys, because I've been there, three cesarean sections, I ain't been there, but either one of them are remarkable, remarkable examples of I'll pull back so that something else may live. Any good parent knows that, that you have to do some pulling back in order and some giving up of your rights and time and energy and space so that someone else may come into existence. Second thing I see going on is any good parent is going to give permission for the child to try and sometimes fail and try and, and sometimes succeed. Any good parent is not going to swoop in as the helicopter parent and do everything for their child. And I know sometimes we pray and we want God just to take it from us and to fix it and to fix it now in a way that we can see, in a way that we appreciate. And I just want to say to you parents out there, would you do that for your kids all the time? There's something about permission. There's something about our growth where God intervenes, but in ways that, that enable us to use our freedom and talents so that we can grow. And so I see in God this amazing giving of permission. And then finally, I see God also giving, as any good parent, some boundaries. Now, I was the third of five kids. And what that means is when I came along, my parents were too tired to go over the rules. There just wasn't time. So I was raised with not a lot of rules, but, but some. I did have a curfew, when I, which I found out when I broke it. And I had some expectations about grades and studies. Because my parents knew they just couldn't turn me completely loose. That I would need some boundaries and some guidelines to best use and to grow in my freedom. And that's any good parent, I think, knows that. And God does the same with us. We just do better with the safeties that boundaries provide. I heard a story uh, last week about a brand new pay playground and they released the kindergartners to be the first one on it and they had a great time had a wonderful time crawling over all the equipment and and so the next day the kindergartners were again invited to be the first one to use the playground they ran out there and they noticed there's no fence around the playground it had been taken down in the night by the researchers running this experiment and so they didn't play all over the equipment they simply huddled together and looked around without the safety of that boundary, of that fence, they could not play as freely as they might. And so in God's wisdom, God gives us some boundaries so that we might play and grow. And I think about this, and I think about the great story in, of the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son's father? That gives the prodigal son freedom. Yeah, you can go. And yet welcomes him back. And at the same time, welcoming him back doesn't take anything from the other son who has stayed, the boundaries still remain in place. It is a picture of hospitality in parenting. It's a picture of hospitality in creation. And the goal is that the image of God in each one of us reaches its full potential. Because what it means to be in the image of God is not that necessarily God looks like us. So it, it doesn't mean that when I get to heaven, I will see God having two eyes, a nose, two ears, a mouth, and no hair. That's not going to happen. What it means is we're created with certain capacities like God has, and one of those capacities is to love in such a way that allows people to grow 
and exercise and live into the image of God that is with them more fully. The paradigm of God creating in hospitality is meant to give us a very strong hint about how we deal with others in this world. And we deal with them in such a way that they will grow and that we will grow. You may have heard this story in 1957. Uh, some monks in Thailand, Buddhist monks, were asked to move their shrine because they were going to build something there. So soldiers came in and construction workers and began to move the shrine and dig up things. And, and suddenly they hit something. And the monks didn't even know what it was. And as they began to dig deeper, they noticed buried in the ground was a large statue of Buddha made of clay. Well, that was fascinating, but it was so large and so heavy, they didn't have the equipment to move it. So they waited to move it the next day. And while they went back to get bigger equipment, the monks were curious. And one of them started noticing a a crack in the clay and started working on it and started pulling the clay aside and found it wasn't a clay statue of the Buddha at all. It was a statue of Buddha in solid gold worth more than they could imagine. And apparently two centuries earlier, Burmese soldiers were coming into to Thailand and, and the monks at that time decided to hide this golden statue of great value from the soldiers so they covered it in clay and buried it in the ground. Well, we don't have Buddha inside us, but I think the metaphor is actually powerful because I don't know at what time the image of God in us gets a little cloudy, gets a little covered, gets a little dirty. And I don't know what holds us back from becoming the people God has called us to be. I don't know if it's our childhood experiences. I I don't know if it's narratives we hear that are wrong and we believe them. I don't know. But I do know this. The only way that we recover the gold inside us, the image of God with which we're created, the only way I think that that is chipped away and freed and released is when someone extends hospitality. 